Welcome back to the second season of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. We've got our time machine out of the shop and ready to go on a new set of adventures through prep sports history this year. This week, we travel back to October of 1944, and for the first time, we leave the state of Nebraska. We are following the Nomads of Nebraska High School Football, America's first national high school football power, the team that is a fly in the ointment of nearly every state football ratings puzzle through the middle of the last century, the Boys Town Cowboys and their legendary coach, Maurice Skip Palrang. As we bring the time machine down, it's October 21st, 1944, and we are with the West Dodge Boys, they won't adopt the Cowboy nickname for another five years or so, on the grass of Briggs Stadium in Detroit, Michigan. Coach Palrang was planning on putting the boys through their pregame practice for tomorrow's big showdown with Catholic Central of Detroit, but all is not as planned. The boys' town football gear has been misrouted by the railroad, And, though Coach Palrang has been assured that the equipment will be in the Motor City for tomorrow's big game, today the practice choices are limited. In our modern age, Nebraska high school athletes without their official practice gear would have plenty of athletic wear in their bags or on their backs to wear in practice, at least for a game day walkthrough. But in 1944, all the boys have is what they're wearing under their traveling jackets and ties. I believe skivvies would be the term of the day. So Coach Palrang's choices uh, are A, a practice in underwear and t-shirts, or B, no practice at all. Is it wrong to say I was disappointed that he he chose no practice? What a story that would have been to lead off this episode. Still, the Boys Town football story offers us plenty to talk about, and 1944 is a great place to start. This is not the first cross-country trip the boys took. They've been traveling the country for games since a 1938 contest in Los Angeles. But it's the first time they've combined their national schedule with games in Iowa, Michigan, Washington, and California with a tough Nebraska slate that prompts consideration in the Cornhusker State ratings throughout the fall. I consider it the year the Boys Town football program came of age. So here we are, halfway through the season, on the grass that is the home of Major League Baseball's Detroit Tigers and the NFL's Lions. Briggs Stadium is later to be renamed Tiger Stadium, a name we more easily recognize. And the West Dodge boys are undefeated and overdressed, and heading for their biggest challenge of the season. Detroit Catholic Central High, the reigning city and Michigan State champs, and the biggest crowd to ever see a prep football game involving a Nebraska high school a record that lives to this day, I believe. Tomorrow's contest, dubbed the Boys Bowl, will draw 43,539 people and raise 68,000 for charity. That would be nearly a million dollars in today's money. The Boys Bowl, by the way, lives on today, raising money for good causes and is now played between Catholic Central and another Detroit or Michigan school every year. This fall, we'll see the 73rd renewal, but attendance has never matched that first Sunday during World War II as the West Dodgers and the Shamrocks battled to a 14-14 tie. 
Leo Vigil and Johnny Brogan were the stars carrying the ball for the Nebraskans, each scoring once. The boys led 14-7 late in the fourth quarter, before Catholic Central marched 55 yards for the tying TD with just 34 seconds left. It still looked as though Boys Town would slip out of town with a one-point win when the Shamrock conversion run, kicks and runs, were each just one point in the 40s, fell inches short. But a flag for offsides on the boys gave Catholic another shot, and they converted for the tie. As Coach Powell ranks, 22-man travel squad boarded the train the next day to return to their campus, which was still well west of Omaha in 1944. The boys had a 4-0-2 record, including wins over Class A's Lincoln Northeast, 18-0, and Fremont, 37-0, and a 6-6 tie with Creighton Prep. Those games, plus wins over Council Bluffs Thomas Jefferson and Omaha Holy Name, would seem to at least put the West Dodge Boys in the Nebraska ratings conversation. Not according to Harlan Bidick of the Lincoln State Journal, though. The next week, he completely dropped the boys from his ratings, where they had been as high as number three after their tie with Prep, for having a, quote, poor Nebraska slate. The King Raider, though, Greg McBride of the World Herald, would keep Boys Town in consideration. He recognized that Boys Town may have only played five games in state. They had blanked Omaha Cathedral 72 to nothing after returning from Detroit. But they had upgraded their Nebraska schedule enough to have some place in the ratings conversation. Before 1944, Boys Town had only played two Class A Nebraska schools in seven years of varsity football. The 44 schedule was an obvious attempt by Powrang to juice up the in-state part of his slate. The prep game was the inaugural in what would become a heated yearly rivalry series with the Hilltoppers. Prep hadn't moved off the university campus to 72nd Street yet and has never called the Jays in the 1940s. Prep was the Omaha Intercity League champions in 43 and 44. Lincoln Northeast in 44 was not the team they had been when they won the Mideast Conference in 42 and 43, but that doesn't reduce the effort made by the boys to play tough Class A opponents. Prep and Northeast had shared McBride's mythical rating state championship with Lincoln High the year before in 43. The only big school conference uh, not represented by an opponent on the West Dodge schedule was the Lynx-Missouri Valley. But Lincoln High won the Valley in 44, and the boys' town reserves did get the best of the Lynx JVs, 26-6, showing that Coach Powell Rang was upgrading all the schedules he could and that boys' town was preparing to compete at the highest levels. That was quite a goal for the little school for little men on the former Overlook Farm. The Boys Town campus during World War II only had a population of about 400 boys, barely 200 of which were of high school age, and the Dodgers had just moved from Class C to Class B basketball, so their consideration with the biggest Nebraska football squads was an achievement in itself. They wouldn't be big enough to compete in Class A basketball until 1946. As November arrived, McBride rated the unbeaten Dodgers number one in Class B and in the overall top ten. Their unbeaten status wouldn't last long as a trip to Sioux City Trinity turned into a 9-7 loss. Trinity, which changed its name to Bishop Heelan in 1949 and is still open today, was often a thorn in the Boys Town side, as we will see later. Powerang's crew got back on the winning track five days later, topping Missouri Valley, Iowa, 24-13. After that, it was time to head west. 
Newspapers throughout the nation ran stories about the famous school's trip to the West Coast. The first stop would be Spokane, Washington, to play Gonzaga High School. The seeds for this matchup were planted way back in 1941 on, of all places, a golf course. Spokane native Bud Ward won the 1941 National Amateur Golf Championship on an Omaha course. He felt, though, he was treated in an unsportsmanlike way by the River City fans. After accounts of his mistreatment appeared in stories throughout the nation about the tournament, a delegation from Omaha made a peace offering to Spokane. The Spokane Athletic Roundtable, a group of athletic boosters, I assume, responded by raising money for Boys Town football to purchase better equipment. It was only natural then for the West Dodge boys to point their train towards Spokane when they headed west in 1944. As other Nebraska schools were playing their final games of eight or nine game football seasons, Boys Town had already played nine, going 6-1-2, and two, and were embarking on a three-game West Coast trip. On November 19th, they played Spokane Gonzaga, a small school known in Washington for regularly defeating much bigger schools. As the Omahans arrived, Gonzaga was 6-1 and and co-champions of the city. They defeated the boys 18-12. A week later, Boys Town was in San Francisco, where they blocked a punt through the end zone in the third quarter for an 8-6 win over St. Ignatius High. The next day, McBride handed the Nebraska State Championship to unbeaten Kearney. The Bearcats' only football crown until 2006 and rated Boys Town number five without even mentioning that the West Dodgers were still on the left coast playing football. From San Fran, it was down the coast to L.A. It was the boys' first trip to Tinseltown since 1938 when the school made its first big road trip. But more about that in a little bit. In 1944, the opponent was Loyola High School, alma mater of Boys Town founder Father Edward Flanagan and the Southern California Catholic Interscholastic Champions. The teams played in front of 14,000 in Gilmore Stadium, home of the 1939 and 1940 NFL All-Star Games. When Gilmore Stadium was raised in 1952, CBS Television City was built on the land, so your favorite sitcom might have been filmed right where the boys played. Loyola handled the Dodgers 25-7 to finish their California unbeaten season and send the boys home with a 4-3-2 final season mark. While the Dodgers were on the train home, McBride named them Class B state champions, ahead of three unbeaten teams. McBride put undefeated Tecama 4th, Ord 5th, and Neely tied for 10th. The second and third spots went to teams from the southeastern corner of the state, Crete and Fall City, each with two losses, but with schedules full of bigger schools. Nine days after the Dodge boys arrived back in Omaha, they beat Plattsmouth 34-18 on the basketball court. One of the unique, unique things about Boys Town football is that they arrived nationally before they became a part of the Nebraska statewide football scene. We'll examine how that came to be on the other side of this break. As always, we want to promote the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame here on Suiting Up Varsity. If you haven't been down there yet to visit, make it a part of your next trip to Lincoln. But this year on these breaks, I also want to promote other resources available about Nebraska high school history, specifically on the Internet. Uh, one thing that I uh, was looking at this week that I hope everyone is aware of is a great documentary by Nebraska Public Television by NET 
on the Winnebago uh, State Basketball Champions of 2015. It's a documentary called Bago Boys. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's available on YouTube. If you just search for Bago Boys, B-A-G-O-B-O-Y-S, and it's a fabulous piece of filmmaking and Nebraska high school sports history. It's a great look at the town and the tribe and those specific, specific boys who made a great championship run. We'll put links to that on our Facebook page and our new website at suitingupvarsity.org. Visit that to see all our show notes for every episode. The story of Boys Town football starts with the story of Boys Town itself and its founder, Father Edward Flanagan. His mission to care for homeless boys started in downtown Omaha in 1917 with five boys entrusted to him by an Omaha court in a traditional orphanage called the German-American House. By 1921, Flanagan recognized the need for more space and, more importantly, a new way of caring for his growing group of lost boys. He engineered the purchase of Overlook Farm, 10 miles west of downtown, and moved his expanding population of boys there. On the farm, the boys helped build the campus buildings and began the process of creating their own community, which in 1926 took the name Boys Town. By 1936, Boys Town was really a town, with a United States post office and an official designation as a village by the state of Nebraska. Father Flanagan, and his mission got a lot of public relations mileage out of the election of a boy as mayor every year. But the responsibilities of the boy mayor and the other youths who served as councilmen, firemen, etc. wasn't just for show. It was a big part of the Boys Town program that insisted there was no such thing as a bad boy. Athletics and recreation were naturals in the new community on the expanse of the former Overlook Farm. There were acres for fishing, sledding, hiking, and more. Soon Flanagan and his charges began to construct ball fields and diamonds, and Father embraced sports and the lessons they could teach as an important pillar of the Boys Town experience. In 1935, Flanagan found a coach to lead that charge. Ken Cochran, who according to his grandson, started his application to Flanagan like this. Dear Father, I am an orphan boy myself and would like to work at Boys Town. Soon, Cochran was organizing boxing, baseball, and basketball for the boys. In April of 1935, he had 14 baseball teams up and playing each other on campus with the goal of choosing the best to form an American Legion team to play in Omaha that summer. And of course, they were playing football. But this was before there was even an actual Boys Town High School. The high school itself didn't open until 1936, and I can't find any evidence in the newspapers of the day of high school football on West Dodge until 1937. But that doesn't mean they weren't playing football. 
Both the World Herald and the Lincoln Papers covered several Boys Town games that seemed to be what we would call youth or, more likely, sandlot games. In 1934 and 1935, there are several accounts of the boys playing teams from different Omaha neighborhoods, like the Gifford Park Ramblers, that's the area around the old Tech High, and another team called the Chattin' Nibbles, maybe sponsored by a cafe. They even played a team called the Lincoln Southsiders a couple times. In 1935, they played the Southsiders to a 13-13 tie, with the Dodgers uh, touchdowns being scored by Tony Valone, the first mayor of Boys Town, or maybe the second, there seems to be some discrepancies on that, who would be one of the first 10 graduates of the Boys Town High School in 1937. These games definitely involved high school-aged boys. Nearby Valley High School was reprimanded by the state association for playing a team from Father Flanagan's orphanage way back in the fall of 1932. These sandlot games will cause a lot of confusion in the early 40s as Boys Town High starts to accumulate real high school prep wins. The newspapers, and maybe Coach Cochran himself, seem to add these sandlot games to the high school team's all-time record. In 1947, the Nebraska Journal in Lincoln reviews Boys Town football history and says that they tied the Lincoln High Reserves in 1935. But I bet that was the 13-13 tie with those Southsiders, most of whom were probably destined to be links eventually uh, and may have been playing on the Lincoln High Reserves that fall and simply changed their name for rules purposes. Many newspaper articles in those early years say Boys Town was unbeaten from 1935 to 1939, but a 1935 newspaper notes a one-point loss to a team called Holy Angels. That team probably hailed from Holy Angels Church at 27th and Fowler in Omaha. That church was torn down in 1979 to make way for the North Freeway. No matter the confusing history, the key takeaway is that Boys Town football was growing, successful, and important to the home's overall mission. It became a key cog in Father Flanagan's promotion of Boys Town. Flanagan was always getting the word out about the work of his staff and the accomplishments of his boys. In the 1920s, he had started a radio show to highlight the community. And even before moving his boys to Overlook Farm, he had created a newsletter called The Boys Town Times. He often showcased the boys' musical talents in the town choir and band. The growth of Boys Town football was timed perfectly to coincide with the home's most exciting piece of publicity, a Hollywood movie that premiered in Omaha in 1938 and featured megastars Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy. The film promoted the good works of Flanagan and his town, his belief in the good in every boy, and the boys, he ain't heavy, he's my brother, mindset. The movie even touched on the importance of athletics on the campus, mentioning baseball standout Larry Kennedy, who would play several years in the St. Louis Browns Major League organization after moving on from Boys Town. The year before the movie, 1937, Boys Town had gone 4-0 in its first high school football season, defeating the small-town Valley Terriers and three Omaha Catholic schools, Sacred Heart, Cathedral, and Holy Name, without giving up a single point. Scheduling for the non-traditional high school on West Dodge was obviously a challenge. The three other private schools were also new to high school football and needed games as well, even if they were going to lose to the boys by 26, 20, and 50 points. 
Valley High was just 13 miles west of Boys Town, and as recently as 1935, had been driving 140 miles to the west to play the Polk Cubs. So they may have been more anxious than other local public schools to answer Coach Cochran's call for games. And they gave the boys their stiffest test in 1937, falling only 6-0. This West Dodge team was running on a shoestring budget, but they got help from a lot of places. Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. donated old football pants and cleats, though the shoes were basically unusable. The University of Nebraska had sent their old game jerseys with a big red N on the front for practice gear. Several Omaha businessmen came through with just enough money for the rest of the equipment they needed. Cochran would later describe this gear as mostly being held together with adhesive tape. There was one big story on the Boys Town team in 1937, a substitute named Billy Meager. Meager had been infamous a few years earlier as a youth who had shot and killed his own father when Dad refused to leave the local tavern. Colorado officials sentenced him to the adult penitentiary, but when Father Flanagan heard the story, he requested that young Billy be turned over to him. Colorado agreed, and soon reports were coming out of Boys Town about a saxophone and basketball-playing youth who was adjusting quite well. Football box scores from 1937 show he played in almost every game coming off the bench. Stories like that are typical of Flanagan's efforts. It's common to see newspaper stories of the era about him requesting that local officials remand troubled boys to him and his community. The 1938 football season started off looking very similar to 37 as the summer ended. In early September, Cochran was telling the World Herald he was again struggling to find games. Boys Town was still playing Class C basketball, so the high school was not very big. Cochran had the four games from 37 already under contract and was hoping maybe to add reserve teams from Creighton Prep and Omaha Tech and maybe a team from Iowa. As far as I can tell, he had no luck, and the West Dodgers would have had the exact same schedule again with the same results as 37. Four wins, zero points allowed, except, and it's a big except, that after that movie became a national hit and an Academy Award winner, Hollywood came calling for Boys Town football. The boys were invited west to play Black Fox Military Academy of Los Angeles. The game was arranged by the movie studio MGM to take advantage of the film's popularity and raise money for Flanagan's building goals, which the film had made more immediate. Applications for his now famous little village west of Omaha had doubled as moviegoers across the nation watched the story played out by Rooney and Tracy. So, on November 22, 1938, the West Dodge Boys climbed aboard a Union Pacific Challenger for the ride west. Boys Town football was now a national story. Newspapers, not just in California and Nebraska, but Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Texas, Kentucky, and more, reported on the team of plucky young orphans heading west to take on the school of Hollywood stars. Charlie Chaplin's son attended Black Fox. Shirley Temple's brother George would start at tackle for the Californians and recover a fumble in the game. Bing Crosby, Al Jolson, and Lucille Ball would be among the luminaries in the stands. John Considine Jr., a Hollywood big shot and the producer of Boys Town the Movie, played a big part in making the benefit game happen. 
Flanagan accompanied the team and used the time and opportunity to speak about and promote Boys Town's mission. He could see that the football program would become an important part of the fundraising apparatus that was necessary to keep the city of young men operating and growing. On the field, the Dodgers knew how to do their part. 10,000 fans filled the same Gilmore Stadium the boys would visit in 1944 and saw what the Los Angeles Times would call, quote, a rip-snortin' football team, defeat the locals 20-12. Now, I'm not sure if it was a sports reporter who covered the games for the time, Times or a movie reviewer. Here's the description of the boys' first touchdown drive after Black's, Black Fox had taken a 6 to nothing lead. Quote, on the first play, Boys Town uncorked their jitterbug shift in which every man on the team looked as if he were doing the shag. This was followed by a lot of monkey business. And finally, Franklin Yoder, the left end, got the ball and fired a 30-yard pass to Nick Lonkerick, the other flank man. <laughs> After that, the teams made a quick exchange of fumbles before Johnny Lockmer plunged across the goal for the Boys Town score. After the cadets had answered to pull back in front 12-7, it was 180-pound All-Stater Lon Carrick again, this time catching a 73-yard touchdown pass. This play uh, again came after another of the famous jitterbug shifts, according to the Times account. Black Fox answered again, but missed another conversion and left the Midwesterners up 13-12. Lon Carrick then did his final Hollywood star turn, intercepting a pass and running it in to set the 20-12 final. The boys attended a post-game banquet in their honor, did a little sightseeing, reporting that the California hospitality was tops and that the Hollywood girls were, quote, not bad looking. And then they boarded the train to return home. Despite that having been just the ninth game in Boys Town High School football history and the ninth win, the national scope of the football program was already in place. Coach Cochran and traveling secretary P.J. Norton would have to turn down an offer of another game against Denver All-Stars on the trip back. Two days after arriving back in Omaha, the boys started basketball practice. Father Flanagan started building the dorm that the benefit game would pay for, and Coach Cochran started planning for bigger and better things for his now nationally famous West Dodge footballers. Let's take another break to talk about the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. If you haven't been down yet to visit the Hall of Fame, make it a part of your next trip to Lincoln where they honor the past and inspire the future. My uh, favorite new addition at the Hall of Fame uh, was donated anonymously. I I was told it was just left outside the door. It's a beautiful 1950s-era Omaha Tech uh, high school football helmet, and it has... uh, it has different stickers for Tech High, the Tech High Trojans on both sides. Uh, we featured it on our Twitter feed, uh, but I'll also put those pictures up on, uh, on our uh, show page, uh, suitingupvarsity.org, our new webpage where we'll have show notes for each episode. Uh, remember, uh, make the Hall of Fame, which is always free, a part of your next trip to Lincoln. They're open on uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 10 to 4. And now let's get back to the Boys Town story. Boys Town didn't immediately just start crisscrossing the nation playing football, though. In 1939, they played a schedule of seven games. The three traditional Catholic opponents in Omaha. Boys Town won all three, but Cathedral pushed them in a 12-7 game. A Nebraska public school. 
Pierce replaced Valley, and the Dodgers won 45-0. Two Iowa opponents, Missouri Valley and Sioux City Trinity, both of which fell 6-0, and a small Missouri school, Conception Academy, which Boys Town defeated 32-8 to finish the year. Many newspapers reported this as Boys Town's 35th straight win and fifth unbeaten season. But as I said earlier, in terms of real high school competition, this is just win 16 and the third unbeaten year. Still, that's impressive for a team just starting a program, probably unprecedented. In a sign that the Boys Town crew was starting to be taken seriously as a Nebraska title contender, Albion booster Charles Beckworth took to the newspapers to try to arrange a game in Lincoln between the West Dodge Boys and the 9-0 Albion Cardinals, who had just ended Ord's 40-game win streak behind the running of All-State fullback Jim Kelly. Coach Putnam of Albion was said to be on board with the possible game, and a proposal was made to Cochran, but nothing ever came of it. Later in 39, the World Herald's Fred Ware was proposing a Boys Town versus Ord game for 1940. Cochran never addressed any specific games, but said that their schedule and facilities were both being upgraded. I don't know how the facilities changed, but the schedule was almost identical in 1940, with the only difference being Conception Academy being replaced with Olween Sacred Heart of Iowa. They opened the season with a 21-0 win over Omaha Sacred Heart. The Lincoln papers, though, were sounding the alarm. Quote, they say this is the year the boys' town streak ends, unquote. They continued to count the streak from 1935 until 1937. Still, they were right. After a 19-0 win over Pierce, uh, Missouri Valley, Iowa tied the boys 6-6. Still unbeaten, but no longer untied, 18-0-1 all-time. Still pretty good. The boys saw their next game with Sioux City Trinity postponed because of a polio scare up north. They bounced back and blanked the team from Olween 19 to nothing. But the next week was the shocker. Boys Town needed a 102-yard interception return by Ed Doolin in the second half to escape with just a tie against longtime foe Cathedral. The West Dodge Bunch still had never lost to an Omaha school, but Cathedral seemed to be becoming a real rival. On November 10th, they were back on the winning track, beating Holy Name 14 to nothing. The newspapers were giving them credit for 41 games without a loss, which would have beaten the Ord record that extended from 35 to 39, but as I've said, I think that includes non-varsity games and non-official high school games from before 1937 for Boys Town. Still, I have them at 20-0-2. That changed on November 17th when that rescheduled game at Sioux City Trinity turned into a parade of Boys Town errors. The Dodgers gave up a block punt and a fumble that both led to Trinity scores, and Coach Cochran took his first defeat, 12-0. That makes the 1940 team 4-1-2, a pretty good record when you consider it was a worst-in-school history mark. Though the West Dodge footballers uh, didn't make any big trips for a few years, the Boys Town baseball team spent a summer weekend in Cleveland, Ohio in 1939, playing there against Farmdale, Ohio, during an amateur baseball celebration. And the Boys Town choir made some big tours of the Midwest, once even delaying the start of football practice since several footballers were also in the choir. In 1941, it would be time for the football team to buy more train tickets. 
the boys would finish the season with a three-game tour of the East. Newspapers noted that the schedule had been upgraded, but the team was not expected to be up to the standards of the late 30s. The West Dodgers picked up wins over Holy Name, Missouri Valley, and Cathedral, keeping that unbeaten streak versus Omaha going, but fell to two private schools from across the river, Des Moines Dowling, 20-12, and Sioux City Trinity, 12-6. Then they climbed aboard the train for a 16-day, 3,000-mile trip to New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. The boys got in some studying, four hours a day it was said, and some PR work, an interview of the coach and mayor on NBC Radio's National Sports Show, but they struggled on the field. They slipped by St. Michael's of Union City, New Jersey, 7-6, but then lost to Central Catholic of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, an 18 to nothing shutout, and to Catholic Central of Steubenville, Ohio, 31-13. That gave the boys their first losing record in school history, three wins and five losses, 27, 6, and 4 overall. Entering 1942, Cochran thought he had a team that could be his best ever. In the winter before, they had had their best basketball showing, dropping a close Class C regional final game to eventual state runner-up Lincoln College View, and the footballers got off to a quick 2-0 start by dismissing Holy Name and Missouri Valley. Next in line, though, was the team that was starting to feel like a real problem for Boys Town, Trinity of Sioux City. The 5,000 people in the stands that night in Iowa saw both teams make several impressive defensive stands, but Trinity got the big break, recovering a blocked punt at the boys' eight-yard line and punching it in for a 7-0 win. That was only the seventh loss in six years for Boys Town, but three of those were to Trinity. Then it was once again time to hit the road to the East Coast. The first opponent would again be Union City St. Michael's, but this year the game would be played in New York City, where the boys would meet Mayor LaGuardia and see Radio City Music Hall. The Omahans beat St. Michael's 36, excuse me, 13-6, and then it was back to Ohio for the second game of the trip. This time it was Springfield Catholic, resulting in a 13-13 tie. The tour's finale was in West Virginia against Charleston Catholic. The game drew 15,000 fans and saw Father Flanagan raise $800,000 in war bond sales just in West Virginia, helping him towards his self-set goal of $2 million for the tour. The game didn't go as well for Boys Town as they were shut out 12 to nothing. To finish that year, 4, 2, and 1. In the summer of 1943, the world of Boys Town football took a sudden turn that would drive its fate as a national football power that we could see developing in that game that we started at in 1944. In late July, all seemed on track as Cochran was leading the American Legion baseball program and planning for the football schedule. He announced on July 25th the addition of Boys Town's first big school Nebraska opponent, a game at Lincoln Northeast on October 1st. In August, though, things changed quickly. Cochran announced he was leaving Boys Town, returning to Illinois, where he was considering several coaching jobs. By August 13th, his replacement had been found, and he was well known in the Omaha coaching circles. Maurice Skip Palrang had coached Creighton University's football team from 1940 to 1942 when the program was dismantled because of manpower concerns during World War II. 
Before that, he was the highly successful Creighton prep coach, winning state basketball championships in 1935 and 1940, and earning Nebraska's only ever National American Legion baseball championship in 1939 with Omaha McDivitts. When the University Blue Jays shuttered football, Palrang signaled he was leaving coaching, taking a war-related federal job with the Housing Administration, which sent him out to McCook. But when Father Flanagan called, he was headed back east and back to football right away. Palrang told the World Herald, quote, I had no intentions of returning to the coaching field. However, when I was contacted regarding the athletic directorship and coaching position at Father Flanagan's Boys Town, I soon became very interested, unquote. He said he planned a diversified athletic program for all students with high school competition in football, basketball, and baseball, and intramural competition in track, boxing, tennis, and wrestling. In other words, he would continue to build what Coach Cochran had established. But Father Flanagan's words in the same news article seemed to hint that he knew Coach Palrang could take his sports teams and his mission to new heights. Quote, Athletics at Boys Town have played a vital part in our program. Our high school teams in recent years have made credible showings in all sports. Under the direction of Mr. Palrang, we are confident that our boys will have the finest coaching and direction that is possible. Sometimes great high school programs are the combination of people and timing. Coach Palrang arrived on the Boys Town campus as the facility was growing at an amazing rate. The momentum from the 1938 Hollywood smash film was still strong in both fundraising and attracting boys to campus. In NSAA competition, Boys Town would grow from Class C in Cochran's last year to Class A by 1946, a four-year rapid ascent that may be one of a kind in Nebraska. Cochran had already taken the first step to strengthen the West Dodge schedule, both nationally and in Nebraska. With Palrang's coaching in place to take advantage of those factors, the World Herald commented at the time of the hire that his coaching instantly put the West Dodgers in state ratings uh, consideration. Flanagan had positioned his already strong athletic program to become something incredible. Flanagan, Palrang, and Boystown continued to cast a wide net looking for football games. A September 3 article in the DeKalb, Illinois newspaper, and surely many others around the nation, noted that Father Flanagan was looking for two more games for that fall's Eastern trip. The continuation of the Union City St. Michael's series was already set. Flanagan told the newspapers that his team averaged about 150 pounds a man and planned, quote, lots of T formation, plus some Notre Dame tactics, and was looking for, quote, a couple high school teams of similar size, unquote. The T formation was still new strategy in 43, and Palrang will become a national expert and advocate for the T as his boys' town teams wowed the nation with their offensive innovation in the next decade. He will actually author a popular book on the use of the T formation in high school competition that sells all over the country. The Palrang era, though, didn't zoom into orbit right away. The West Dodgers finished 4-4-1 in his first year. The opening night saw the boys' Omaha streak cracked by Holy Name, a team that was rumored to be considering dropping the sport because of the war-induced coaching shortage in a shocking 12-6 loss. After beating Cathedral 7-0, Boys Town was clubbed by, in, in Lincoln by Northeast, 40-0. 
tied in Fremont by the Class A Tigers, 12-12, and topped again by Sioux City Trinity, 14-13. Palrang was 1-3-1 as his first season passed the halfway point and the big Eastern trip loomed. A star would emerge for the Dodgers in the East and turn the season around. Clarence Adams would run over and around St. Michael's to lead the boys to a 14-7 trip-opening win in Union City, securing a three-game sweep of that series. Adams would miss the next game in Boston with an injury as Boys Town faced one of the biggest public schools ever on its schedule, Chelsea of Boston, who made quick work of the Adams-less West Dodge boys winning 27-7. Both of those games had been played in front of about 10,000 people, and the papers show evidence that as Powrang and Adams upped their T-formation game, Father Flanagan was expanding his public relations game. Accounts of the trip appeared in newspapers coast to coast, and, especially when they reached Game 3 in the nation's capital, Flanagan had the attentions of thousands of those in new, uh, those newspapers. He held court in Washington, D.C.'s famous Statler Hotel for the print press, the radio people, legislatures, and other influential people from D.C. And he spoke about his home for boys, its mission, and how football played a role in it. Here's a few quotes from Father Flanagan. Why, football itself is a sermon in itself for my boys. It's a sermon in developing pride and character, the same as it is at Notre Dame. The first thing a boy of Boys Town has to whip is an inferiority complex, and football scores a touchdown for him every time. You can't imagine what it means to those boys to be out there playing the game. They feel they've become a part of life. They are individuals on their own. The game in Washington against Gonzaga High School was organized by a United States Senator, Elmer Thomas of Oklahoma, and would draw 12,500 fans to Griffith Griffith Stadium. Griffith, then home of Major League Baseball's Washington Senators, the Negro League powerhouse Homestead Grays, and the Capitals NFL team, had hosted All-Star Games and World Series matches before the boys arrived there. With Adams back in the lineup, the West Dodge boys prevailed 12-6. Adams scored one of the touchdowns and batted away a last-minute Gonzaga pass in the end zone. Having played in front of over 30,000 on the eastern swing, the boys returned home for a season-ending win over old rival Missouri Valley of Iowa to reach that 4-4-1 mark and set the stage for the 1944 season where we saw them continue to gain national prominence while, for the first time, making noise in the Nebraska ratings, staking a claim for the Class B state title and a spot in the overall top 10. Of course, the program going forward will reach heights beyond that, and we will return to the campus on West Dodge later this season to watch how they continue to grow, both as a football program and as an incredible mission that all started with one man, Father Edward Flanagan. That's it until next week when we bring you another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is SuitUpVarsity. See us on Facebook at facebook.com slash suitinguptvarsity. And check out our new website for show notes at suitingupvarsity.org. When you get there, you can ask questions about Nebraska high school sports history. Leave us suggestions for future episodes. Tell us how many games versus Nebraska competition a team should have to play in order to be eligible for the state ratings. 
and or answer this episode's trivia question. In what year did Boys Town finally gain admittance to the Omaha Inner City or Metro Conference? We hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, please take time to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. It really helps others to find our show. If you just leave a rating and a quick comment, we'll show up higher when people search for podcasts about Nebraska or about sports or about high school sports. We'd really appreciate it as we uh, head into season two here on Suiting Up Varsity. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, season two, number one, part one. Written and produced by me, Greg Mays. Technical and research assistance by my brothers, Tate Mays and Trent Mays. Helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai. And as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2017.